I couldn't have chosen a better text in the context of our stewardship process and in relationship to this video than today's. It happens to be the lectionary text from the Gospel of Mark. We've been looking at Mark through the past months. Uh, this is sort of the heart of Jesus' teaching, not just to the disciples, but to us, the church. For as Mark wrote these words, Mark's church was a fledgling 40-year-old congregation struggling against the powers of the Jewish Orthodox Church on one hand and the Roman Empire on the other. And the followers of Christ in the church were frustrated and, and wondering, why is it that we haven't gotten more traction? Why is this so hard? Why is, why is this following Jesus so hard? So hear these words as they come to us from the story of Jesus. They begin in the 32nd verse of the 10th chapter. They're back on the road again. I'm reading from uh, the, the message version. They're back on, their, on the road again. They set out for Jerusalem. That's code word for Jesus' crucifixion. Jesus had a head start on them, and they were following, puzzled, and not just a little afraid. He took the twelve and began again to go over what to expect next. Listen to me carefully. We're on our way up to Jerusalem. When we get there, the Son of Man will be betrayed to the religious leaders. They will sentence him to death. Then they will hand him over to the Romans who will mock and spit on him, give him the third degree and kill him. After three days, he will rise alive. James and John, Zebedee's sons, called up to him, Teacher, we have something we want you to do for us. What is it? I'll see what I can do. Arrange it, they said, so that we will be awarded the highest places of honor in your glory. One, as, one of us at your right and the other at your left. Jesus said, you have no idea what you are asking. Are you capable of drinking the cup I drink? Of being baptized in the baptism I'm about to be plunged into? Sure, they said. Why not? Jesus said, come to think of it, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized in my baptism. But as to awarding places of honor, that's not my business. There are other arrangements for that. When the other ten heard of this conversation, they lost their tempers with James and John. Jesus got them together to settle things down. You've observed how godless rulers throw their weight around, he said. And when people get a little power, how quickly it goes to their heads. It's not going to be that way with you. Whoever wants to be great must become a servant. Whoever wants to be first among you must be your servant. That is what the Son of Man has done. He came to serve, not to be served. And then to give away his life in exchange for many who are held hostage. This is the word of the Lord. 
If you think about it, James and John had every good reason to run Jesus down on the way to Jerusalem that day, for they indeed felt like they were insiders, teachers' pets. And if you look at the gospel story, you see that in a way they were. Jesus' first call, Simon became Peter and Andrew as they were fishing, and then not 20 yards down from uh, the lake, he saw uh, James and John mending the net in the boat with their father, and he called them to follow too, and they left up right where they were doing, literally uh, emptied the boat, left their father doing his work, and followed Jesus. And in almost every case, when Jesus is doing something incredibly intimate or vulnerable or powerful, it's Peter and James and John that he does it with. When Jesus had to raise the girl who had been dead for several days, uh, he asked James and John and Peter to go with him. They knew they had some favorable weight with him, but they wanted more. It was James and John and Peter that, that Jesus asked to go to the Mount of Transfiguration when his clothes were turned dazzling white and when Jesus heard the word of God from the heavens say, this is my beloved son in whom I am most proud. They wanted more. They wanted to be recognized. They wanted to sit at the seat of honor. They wanted a promotion. They wanted lieutenant's pins bars on their lapels, one on the right and one on the left. And Jesus, hearing that, quickly disabuses them of that notion. And he says to them, you have no idea what you are asking. You want to drink from my cup and be baptized in the same baptism as I have been? It looks like what it looks like to go to Jerusalem where I will be scourged and mocked and spit on and where I will be lifted up on the cross to die. That's what you're asking? It's funny about our human propensity not to listen carefully to those conversations that we don't want to hear. We have this human propensity, confirmation bias, I think it's called, to listen through the lens of our of our own perspective and not to hear what others are saying. And what they could not hear, what they could not fathom is the notion that their three years of discipleship would end up in Jerusalem with Jesus crucified. It was Peter, James, and John, if you remember, that Jesus took to the Garden of Gethsemane when he prayed, Father, let this cup pass. And it was Jesus and it was James and John and Peter who slept when Peter needed them most. Sometimes we just can't hear that part because it doesn't fit into our perspective. Their perspective was that they would be elevated, they would be lifted up in the same power and glory as Jesus would be, having no idea that that lifting up at that point would be on the cross. Well, they had some idea. Jesus had told them they just can't fathom it. But this story is more than just a morality tale about be careful what you ask for. It was written 40 years after Jesus' death, as I said, for Mark to support the early church struggling with 
what it means to be a follower of Jesus. The members were getting hammered. They had little influence in the world. They were struggling. And all the while they kept waiting for power and prestige. And Mark is reminding them that the power that we have as a church comes only through the power of the suffering Christ. The one who came to serve and not be served. He turns it upside down about what power looks like. I came to serve and not be served. According to the Gospels, I think as I read it, the church was never meant to sit at the seat of power, political power, or governmental power, much less at the head of the table. But things changed over time. Over 300 years, the early church got cozy with the Roman Empire and eventually Constantine decreed that all of the empire would be Christian from then on. And for the next 2,000 years, the power of the church and the power of the state has been in this dance of power with each other until, I think, in the last 100 years. We're seeing the fragmentation of the church across the globe. We're seeing the church losing its influence in terms of our culture and our power. And while that is unfortunate in the sense that less and less people are being able to receive the deep values, the deep Christian values that the church can offer. While that's unfortunate, I also want to say that it's also maybe a blessing. That the church was never meant to have that kind of power in the world if Jesus is our example. For the power of the church is always a power of service from the bottom up, not the top down. It is a t- power based on love and forgiveness and compassion and servanthood. It is a power that calls into each of us to be one who follows Jesus, as you heard me on that, on that tape say, out into the world, the presence of Christ in the world. Our power is Christ-like power, and that power was crucified. It is the resurrecting power of the Spirit that inspires us to go forth. But in our presence, we're called to be like the one who, though he was in the image of God, did not count equality with God as something to be grasped, but taking the form of a servant, he humbled himself. We're a body of humility. Now that may sound like a strange way to motivate this congregation to give of your time and your talent and your treasure, but you tell me, where in this world do you find that but in the church? Where in this world do you find that kind of humble servant leadership collectively, generally, than the church being the church? And I want to say, all humility aside, this church lives by that. It has always lived by that sense of servanthood into the world. And it is that calling and that mission that we are asking you to support for the year 2019. This church is a 
vibrant, bright light in a dark world that needs to understand what humility and reconciliation looks like. And we are that light. So I pray that the Spirit of God will move among each of us as we gratefully and responsibly choose to make our commitment with our time and our treasure and our talents.